Thank you uh, for joining the first Shine On podcast, uh, where we highlight the work and wisdom from industry thought leaders uh, through Shine uh, that started with a partnership with Plan LED, uh, Mariano Rivera, and the New York Yankees uh, to shine hope into our communities. We strive to create meaningful content to encourage and inspire our community. Our guest today is Brett Kaufman. He is the Principal Business Architect at Kaufman Consulting. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Brett. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, thanks for inviting me. It's really fun to be here. Yeah, you're one of the guys that we really respected in the industry. And so uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on. And, uh, you know, uh, it's been really great uh, having done some good work with you throughout the years. Wanted to just kind of pick your brain. Um, again, I, I alluded to kind of the objective of the podcast, which is to be able to deliver value content uh, in a way that that really kind of educates, provides wisdom and encourages the community. That's what shines about. And so um, you know, wanted to ask you, can you tell us a little bit about how, what brought you to this point as a business architect? Yeah, so a uh, really fascinating experience uh, happened to me when I was very young. Um, IBM at the time, uh, now we're talking about the 70s here, John. Uh, they were trying to figure out what would happen if we exposed children to computers at a very early age. Right. So fast forward to our children today. Mm -hmm. um, they're being exposed to technology at their earliest years and then they are soaking in it. So what they did is back in 79, they did um, a aptitude survey in Denver, Colorado, where I lived. And they took 100 of us that had various indicators, IQ and things like that. And they put us in a special classroom and they gave us they gave us all computers. Uh, they were IBM terminals at the time, and we had uh, individual teachers who showed us how to use computers. I was four years old at the time. Wow. Wow. And, um, you know, so I really grew up with technology before anybody. Um, there were just a few of us. And that exposure then led me to um, understand that technology can really help people. Mm. And... So I began noticing as I matured, I began noticing that there was a lack of delivery on technology in a way that actually benefited people's lives. So I came up with a little phrase that I think I've shared with you before, but I'll repeat it here on the podcast. I do believe, and you can mark my words, that one day technology is actually going to help people. Hmm. And the computers will actually help people. And we're just to get there. And so as I began to work with that idea of really delivering uh, technology that was human centric and began to benefit people's lives in very emotionally understandable ways to where people fell in love with the technology, I started working in the area of uh, process architecture and business mm -hmm. architecture. So that's just a little bit of, of, of how I got here. Fascinating. Uh, so I can, you know, obviously as a little teaser clip, I can say one of the first uh, users of technology, right? That's That would be an accurate statement, Brett? Well, you know, in a way, I, I, I would reflect that, you know, we've had technology for a very long time. Um, but when it comes to computer technology, yeah, and if you will, if, if you'll think of it as uh, cathode ray tube or monitor based technology, mm -hmm. That's where I got involved. 
Um, so, you know, at one point in, in my life, I think I was a teenager when I started working as a DJ at a local radio station. And uh, I had the opportunity <laughs> to try to rescue a, a radio station that they were going to turn off. Um, the AM radio uh, had fallen out of popularity. And mm. so the station manager said, you know, I think I'm just going to run the FM only. And uh, I begged him to give me an opportunity to uh, keep it alive, if possible. I knew there were listeners and that those listeners were generally uh, older people in our community. And yes. so what I did is I had earlier purchased an Otis elevator brain, which was a relay type computer from a hotel mm. that was going to be torn down. Uh, I think this thing cost me uh, 50 bucks, wow. which is a lot of money at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, uh, I automated that radio station. And it was one of the first uh, that I know of. And I went on to continue to explore the intersection between the broadcasting business and computer automation. And I did that up until about 2000. Amazing. Amazing. So, Brett, in your journey, uh, you, you know, at at the very core of what you're doing, it appears that you're bringing together how to use this technology in a meaningful way. It helps us improve the quality of life, right? You know, we talk about that in human-centric lighting all the time, improving the quality of life. You've developed quite the, uh, you know, um, I guess the track record of different things that you've worked on. And I'm curious to know, of those copious amounts of projects that you've worked on, what is like one, one project or one thing that you, you know, accomplished that really stands out to you where you felt like it made the most meaningful impact? You know, honestly, um, I'll refer to some of the work that I was allowed to participate in um, while I was at Vulcan. Um, mm. The ability to support Paul Allen when he was really at uh, such a pinnacle of, of his lifespan was mm. really exciting to me. You know, there are some very normal things that we're all running into when it comes to the intersection of business value and technical operations. And yeah. John, when I say technical operations, I'm referring to even the lighting systems that uh, that you've you've been working on for the last few years. You mm. know, it's every single project that we talk about at any level, even at Paul's level, when you say, listen, let's go figure out how to make an impact on any given subject like homelessness. The moment that you say go, the inflection point uh, that really comes up in 2020 is mm. always around technology. Yeah. And being able to work with him and his teams to take some of the delays and the complexity and the lack of uh, communication flow and really to add efficiency to that inflection point was a great thrill for me. Wow, that's that's amazing. Um, and would you say that uh, you know that being kind of the pinnacle of the projects that you would reference as you know uh, as the foremost project that you worked on, is there a common commonality uh, in the way that you would approach, let's say, a lighting project versus a philanthropy project? Is there something that kind of brings everything together in terms of the way that you approach that business architecture? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot about time when it comes to the concept of project, okay? Which is, you know, you brought up this very valid term. 
we do as human beings in the business space tend to divide everything up that we're doing into this wonderful container called projects. Mm -hmm. um, and it gives us a really nice, um, if you will, uh, capsulation um, to be able to say that, all right, let's talk about something different than what you're doing on a daily basis. This right. is a new thing. And so my approach to enabling teams is helping them to understand that there really is another side of uh, of business life and that that side is operations hmm. so every company has a product every company has aims that support that product this is on the side of the business that we know what's going on we've already documented it so we show up every day and we make widgets using an old business analogy okay hmm. and so there are teams of people that are already working on things and those are called operational teams. And so I'll poise this as a question to you so that you can start to feel how I break it down with leadership teams. At the end of a project, John, where does the project go? Hmm. Where does it go? So we've finished the project, okay? And we're done. You know, we started, we spent a lot of money, we brought a lot yep. of people. And I think this is something that a lot of people can't answer, right? And it's okay that you and your listeners can't answer either. The answer to the question is, at the end of every successful project, that output goes to some operational leader. And it becomes part of what they and their staff are doing on a repeatable basis. Mm. So really, at the core of this question, what we're talking about is that projects are a form of continuous process improvement with the primary customer being the operational leaders. And so I like to talk about that and I like to bring that up because once we have that concept in place, we can start to look at all of our projects, like let's say a lighting project, we need to go back to the person who's going to inherit that lighting system and start to think about the schedule and we need to think about the eventual handoff from the project to the operations leader in the context of the person who's going to be running that lighting system. I think right. most cases it would be the, um, what would you call it, you know, like the, uh, the person who runs facilities. So the facilities senior manager. And I like to look at everything from the point of view of that person in the future and make decisions that only meet one set of criteria. What is success from that person's point of view when they're running it on an operational basis? That keeps me uh, as an architect from losing my way and for instance, working on materials for the sake of materials or technology for the sake of technology or having meetings for the sake of meetings. None of this matters. If as a business leader, you always remember that the only thing that we're trying to do is to make some operational manager's life a little bit better. It's like, it's a living, breathing type of thing. It's not in and out, right? You're not just going to do the project, finishing it and moving on to the next year. You're, you're really calibrating it to the specific needs of that, you know, of that entity or that operational leader, yeah? Yeah, for two different reasons. I think there's two primary reasons. Uh, one of them is a completely capitalistic point of view, 
Mm-hmm. You know, we run businesses as a way of making money for the mm-hmm. business. Sure. And so you're either making making it improve, you're increasing the overall profit of the company, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're improving efficiencies for people who are working on profiting for the company. Okay. Mm. But then the other one I think is as valid to keep in mind. Work, John, has become more of our lives than anything else. Yeah. You know, we, we work more than we sleep now. We work more than we have time with our families. We work more definitely than we engage in our in our hobbies. Okay. And so if you remember that the second reason is uh, our projects can and should improve the lives of coworkers. And I think if something improves the life and the feeling of a person while they're at work, Mm -hmm. it's very valid for us to do that. Yes. Right. Let's take the lighting projects that we worked on together we were able to work together to uh, bring some of the human-centric lighting experts from all around the world and mm-hmm. really get down to all subjective, but an objective, measurable, um, I guess I would say business um, forecast of mm-hmm. how, no matter who the person was, if we had this great lighting system in the building in Seattle, that then they would have better lives, they'd be more productive, there'd be more throughput, but also they'd be happier. And they would go home and they would have better family lives, right? They would feel better as human beings. And isn't that the point of everything that human beings are doing? Hmm. The the great pursuit of happiness. I love that. You know, we're all striving to be happy and we can contribute to that in a meaningful way. That it does tie into the bottom line. It does tie into uh, revenue generating activities and operational efficiency. But more importantly, it ties into that person's individual experience, you know, in that workspace, as you mentioned. That's that's uh, it's poetic, Brett. I love it. I love it. It's poetic and it's beautiful. It's it's, it's everything that, you know, that I want, uh, you know, to be able to encompass in anything that you work on. So um, I, I love that. And I wanted to ask you another question um, specific to these times. Uh, we're experiencing a rather unprecedented, at least in my lifetime, maybe your lifetime, time where you know we're all self-quarantined uh, for, for most of us that are not a part of the essential business. Um, you know, we're struggling as an economy, trying to flatten the curve, and um, everything that we know about life in, in reality is becoming disrupted. Uh, technology is a big part of helping to kind of mitigate some of those uh, volatilities. But from your perspective, as you go through this season with ever, with all of us, really, what do you see as kind of the key kind of highlights of what we're experiencing right now and how to rebuild the economy? Um, you know, just from your perspective as a business architect, what do you see there? I'm glad you asked me that question because I have a completely different uh, point of view on this topic. I know mm-hmm. that at the core of your question, you were asking about COVID and you were asking about a worldwide pandemic. Mm. Um, and of course, all of those things I'm tracking to, I'm thinking sure. about them also. Yep. But when I was in broadcasting, I realized something I was taught by a mentor that it's okay to pause like I mm. just did. Did you mm-hmm. notice that I paused there for a second? Okay. I did. Let me do it again. 
So when I pause, it gives room for your mind to work, okay? If we pause for a moment while we're working, while we're planning, while we're leading, I think it's safe to say that if it's the right amount of pause done at the right time, um, that it gives us the opportunity to improve. Um, it gives us the opportunity to take a deep breath. It gives us the opportunity to absorb information. It gives us the you know, opportunity to, you know, maybe relax and uh, feel better in our skin. Um, mm. More importantly, when we take and maintain the ability to pause, it allows us to be present in this moment. Here we are again. I just paused and it allowed us to be here in this moment, okay? So the way I'm looking at this is instead of calling it by any of the other names that people are using, I'm thinking of it as the great on the planet, frantically. We were forcing ourselves out of bed at an extremely early hour. We were forcing ourselves to have some bathroom time, maybe when we wanted to sleep. We were forcing ourselves to eat. We were shoving inordinate amounts of caffeine uh, and, and other stimulants into our bodies, jumping mm. into our cars, traveling for um, ridiculous amounts of time, okay? Mm. Only to get to buildings that were expensive to maintain, to sit next to each other, and to send emails to the people who sat 15 feet away from us. <laughs> it's crazy. It was ridiculous what we were doing. <laughs> that is uh, truly a unique perspective that I would expect from Brett Kaufman. It, it is it is absolutely true, though, that uh, you're you're running the rat race, so to speak, at times to go and send emails to the person that's sitting right next to you. I, I could not resonate with that anymore than I do why? right now. That's, and why? That's, uh, exactly, and you know, um, you know, there are, there are a few, um, you know podcasts and uh, I guess uh, streams that I follow that talk to the benefit of what's going on right now. Yes, everything, you know, you don't want to downplay or marginalize any what anyone's going through right now, especially those that are impacted by this directly. Um, but, you know, there are environmental benefits, certainly, you know, like uh, there's a cartoonist that drew a picture of Mother Earth and she was uh, as happy as she was in a very long time. There are mountains in uh, the Philippines right now that were have, have not been visible for over 40 years that are perfectly visible like the like Mount Rainier on a on a beautiful day you know here the in Himalayas. Washington the Himalayas yeah, yeah. the same thing in India right for the first time right. people who lived near Mount Everest can actually see it this, this is this is this is the hope Brett is that um, yes uh, we are all panic stricken and the hysteria is real but what can we do because I feel like we, a lot of us feel like we're victim to all of this. Uh, but if there's something that we can do to proactively engage, uh, to be able to do something, to make sense of all this, to pause and to realize the benefits of that pause. To be honest mm -hmm. with you, I thought there was a technological glitch when you pause. I was like, can you hear me? Are you, are you okay? You know, because we're so used to just <laughs> running through the finish line and, and rerun the next race immediately. You know, without taking a minute to pause and to gain, you know, catch our breath. And so I, I love the, the, you know, the, the 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 content that you're sharing with us today. Well, and let's 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 bring it full circle then. Okay. Yes. Uh, 
I think one of the things that we were inordinately focused on was money. Yeah. And now we have another uh, opportunity. On an economic level, our world has had to pause, which is going to allow all of us to stop and think a little bit about what is our value? What is our intrinsic value as human beings? How can I uh, work, right? In a way that's efficient, but then matches who I actually am. Right. Earlier in the call, you said you find idea, you find value in my ideas. Some of the mm -hmm. things that I shared here may be valuable to people who are listening to this podcast. 100%. And so I'm, I'm clear with my intrinsic value, value right? Mm -hmm. I'm a thought leader. I mm -hmm. work with to be able to say, hey, listen, tell me what's going on. Let me run it through my mind and my experiences, and then let me give you back something that may help you, okay? Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's enough. And I would invite everybody, yourself included, to um, pause and be okay with the fact that I know that whatever you do today is enough. You don't need to try to do more and more every day. I think this is the trap that we got into and it reflected uh, into how we make and then how we hoard money. From the point of view of, we were all making a lot of money before this, this pause, mm -hmm. right? Before the pandemic, everybody was productive, but nobody was saving money. Mm -hmm. We were also spending a lot of money. I'll use the example of restaurants. We were going out to eat all the time as a matter of necessity because we were too busy with the rat race, the, you mm -hmm. know, running up and down the highway every day, mm -hmm. and we didn't have time to cook. And now we've had a chance to realize that we didn't need to spend maybe all of that money. Now, we still want and need to support the restaurant industry. Don't get me wrong, right? Yes. Uh, but at the same time, I think we can all take a look at our economic lives and pause and ask ourselves some very interesting questions. How, what's my value? How can I still share a value with people without needing to physically be in front of them? Mm -hmm. Right. And I would point to interactions like what you and I are having right now. Yes. Everybody can do this. Right. Yeah. And then how can we, on the other hand, also learn to not be driven by money mechanisms? Mm -hmm and mechanics, just being forced every day to use every single moment of our lives, thinking about and craving and searching for more money. I would ask at this time when we're all have this right in front of us, what's the point? Hmm. What are you gonna do with more money, right? And if you can answer that question, what would I do if I had more money? Maybe then uh, you're, you're on the path to discovering what your true love is, what your true desire is, what your real hobby is. And I would put forward what my grandfather told me many, many years ago. He said, son, I want you to get a job and I want you to keep working. That'll bring you money. But at the same time, I want you to spend more time on your hobbies than you do on your work. Hmm. Because one day you'll be better at your hobbies than anybody else in the world. And it won't feel like you're working when you go to work. Wow. Right? So if all of us can do that now in this window of opportunity, rather than panicking and feeling like, uh, you know, we're going to suddenly be snuffed out of existence hmm. due to 
temporary downturn in the economy, I think that it'll encourage more of us to come up with great ideas that do connect to our passions. And that's where that's where human value is, is when somebody like you, you know, we both have a passion. Uh, we love lighting. You know, we love great lighting systems. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if I put that on my passion list and I consult with people around great lighting systems and how can we sew those into human spaces in a way to make people's lives better, well, then I've contributed to the universe and I don't have to strive. I don't have to do some sort of workaday job that I don't like. Brett, uh, this has been a true pleasure. Um, thank you for shining hope. You know, that's what Shine really started with is about shining hope into the communities. And uh, I, I think this is literally the per- the perfect first podcast for us to be able to shine <laughs> hope into people's lives and that that brilliant smile that you have to be able to kind of emanate that forward, you know, through video content and podcast creation. Um, it's, a, it's a real pleasure having you. Can you uh, share with us where people can find you? Uh, because inevitably people will be interested in what you have to say and, you know, maybe they want to work with you at a professional level. Where can they find you? Well, they can find me on LinkedIn. I I have one form of social media and that is LinkedIn. Um, uh, So anybody can find me there. Um, I'm always welcome and ready to add people to my network. Mm. And if you have any interest in working with me, you know, I am a professional consultant. um, So, uh, I do have the ability to spend time with leaders um, that are trying to figure out these problems. And so if there's any leaders out there that are interested in working with me, I'm available uh, on a case-by-case basis. But if people just want to talk to me, um, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn or they can email me at b-r-e-t-c-o-f-f-m-a-n at gmail.com. So brettkaufman at gmail.com. And if you uh, don't write that down, you can just find me on LinkedIn and all of my contact information is there. You got it, Brett. Thank you so much for being uh, our first guest onto the Shine On podcast. Uh, wishing you best of luck and and please uh, let's stay connected in the future. Yeah, and John, I just want to thank you. Uh, you know, there's a Sanskrit word that is guru. You've heard guru before. Sure. It's made of two words. Uh, Goo is darkness and ru is light. Okay. And when you conjugate those two words together, when you put them together into guru, it means anything that brings people from darkness into light. Mm. And I just want to put forward that I think with this podcast that you are performing the duties of a guru. So thanks Mm. for bringing us from the darkness and into the light, John. I really appreciate it. No problem. That's why I work in lighting, Brett. (laughs) 